0: In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Seerah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics so this winter inshallah join me in Dallas Texas alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity the mercy to mankind the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam go to seerahintensive.com to register or for more info Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa ala Rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we were discussing and talking about um, the events in the aftermath of the Battle of Khaybar. And we talked about some of the concluding events of the Battle of Khaybar and uh, some of what transpired at that particular time. What we'll be talking about today, inshallah, are some of the very interesting expeditions, some campaigns that took place post Khaybar. So to explain better, As we talked about previously, in the seventh year of Hijrah, the seventh year of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina, the Battle of Khaybar took place. After the Battle of Khaybar uh, concluded, and that's what we were talking about previously, the Prophet ﷺ on the way back to the city of Medina, there were a few stops that the Prophet ﷺ very strategically took. Um, to address different issues, different tribes um, that were between Khaybar and Medina. Similarly, after arriving back in the city of Medina, the Prophet ﷺ once again very strategically, he sent out groups of companions, groups of sahaba, very small contingents, very small groups, as expeditions and as campaigns to different areas to just once again kind of secure the area around Medina and to address the different situations that existed in the region. And the reason why, aside from the fact that this is what occurred in the aftermath of the Battle of khaybar At the same time, there are some very profound lessons um, in each of these expeditions. And I'm going to specifically highlight the ones where there are some very, very intriguing, some very remarkable, some very necessary lessons. Where we see both truce, peace, being established through these expeditions, but we also come across some tragedy that occurred in some of these expeditions as well. The event that we're going to start off with um, is it discusses some you know? Uh, it discusses the establishment of peace, and that was that the Prophet ﷺ on the journey back from Khaybar to the city of Medina. The Prophet ﷺ passed by Al Waqidi uh, ibn Ishaq ibn Kathir and others. They mentioned this that the Prophet ﷺ arrived at a particular place at a uh, at a particular location, and it was the place of Taymah. And at this place of Taymah, there was a Jewish tribe that resided here. Now you can imagine obviously there were some tensions that existed between the Muslims and some of the Jewish tribes of the region. And not in the sense that a lot of times there's you know hate mongering or there's a misportrayal of Islam, but there were very natural tensions because of the different events and the conflicts that had taken place between some of the Jewish tribes of Arabia and the Muslims of Medina. So there was a Jewish tribe at this particular place, and the Prophet ﷺ stopped there. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, um, when they stopped there, they didn't realize that the Jews at that place of Taymah, they had basically assembled, and they started to launch an attack against the Muslims. Because they were very defensive, those tensions were very high. Because they were coming back from Khaybar. And so, the Prophet ﷺ, he reached out to them and he basically told them that we call you to peace, we call you to a truce. And the Prophet ﷺ gave them some time to deliberate. They were able to go... And come back um, and you know con- uh, they, they, they conferenced and they discussed the issue with one another. They consulted amongst one another. And they came back and they informed the Prophet Wasallam and the Muslims that they were interested in establishing a peace treaty. They were interested in establishing peace and truce. And the Prophet Wasallam obliged. And at that particular time, they were basically taken into the fold of the protection of Medina. The governance of... Medina, And what that basically meant was that they were free to live there, they were free to practice their religion, they were free to even govern their social affairs as they saw fit. But they now had a peace treaty to the extent where now they were allied with the city of Medina. And the Prophet went as far as telling them that they would be left to be able to continue their business as they saw fit. They were going to be left there to go about living their lives and doing everything else that they wanted to do. And this was, these were the people of Dayma and Wadiul qura And they were basically left on their own accord. And this is another testimony to the fact that the primary objective of the Prophet ﷺ, as we saw in Hudaybiyah, and we saw on repeated occasions with even the other Jewish tribes, the primary objective of the Prophet ﷺ was the establishment of peace. And because the Jews here at Saymah and Wadiul Qura, they were interested and they were... um, invested into establishing peace, the Prophet did so with them. And so once again you see here, the establishment of this peace in the aftermath of the Battle of Khaybar. Now, the next few things that I'm gonna talk about here are some of the tragic events that occurred in, in these expeditions in the aftermath of Khaybar. And there are some very, very profound lessons here. First and foremost, when they left Khaybar and they proceeded towards Wadi Al-Qurah, There was um, a man who was basically serving the Prophet. His name was Mid'am. This man was basically a slave and he was given into the service of the Prophet. The Prophet honored him and the Prophet dignified him and basically told him that he was allowed to be with them and be like a personal assistant, a khadim of the Prophet. And I mentioned just a little while ago that when they arrived at the place of Wadi al qura that the, they, they were very nervous, they were very anxious, the Jews of Wadi al qura So I mentioned how they had already assembled to launch an attack, to kind of ambush the Muslims, or at least attempt to do so. And they had launched a few arrows. One stray arrow ended up striking this same man, Midam, this servant. It ended up striking him. And he ended up dying from this particular arrow, from being struck by this arrow. And when he died due to that, many of the sahaba, the companions who were there, they started to say, "Hani an lahu biljannah, Hani an lahu biljannah." That you know, congratulations to him. Congratulations to him. He will go to paradise. And the Prophet said something very, very interesting at that time. He said, Kalla. He said, absolutely no. Which is very shocking. Because we know that the disposition of the Prophet was towards mercy, the benefit of the doubt. He said, Kalla. The Prophet was informed by Jibreel of the fact that. Midam, this individual on the day of Khaybar when the spoils of war were being gathered and collected before they were rightly distributed this man Midam ended up going into the spoils of war when no one was looking and he snatched a shawl from there and he hid it and he stashed it in his stuff he basically stole a shawl from the spoils of war and the Prophet ﷺ said Tashta'ilu alayhi naran." that that shawl has now, is symbolic of a shawl of fire over him. That he will be punished for this. Because this was such an egregious violation of trust. In such a sensitive place. And when the Prophet ﷺ made this proclamation, فَلَمَّا بِذَلِكَ الناس When he made this proclamation, people heard this, and they were taken aback, they were shocked by this. <laughs> Another man came to the Prophet ﷺ with a spear or two spears, with some type of equipment. And he basically said, O oh Messenger of Allah, I also kind of picked this off the heap. I kind of snatched this from the collection wrongfully. And the Prophet ﷺ said, شِرَاكُم مِن نَارٍ أَوْ شِرَاكَانِ مِن نَارٍ The Prophet ﷺ, these were spears made of fire. I mean, these could have led you to the fire of hell. And this is reported in the Sahihain, this is in Bukhari and Muslim. And if we kind of pause here and really understand and think about what's being said, it seems very harsh. Somebody sacrifices, right? Puts their life on the line, gives their time and everything, their energies, everything and they go out for the sake of Islam, for the cause of Islam, they commit a minor indiscretion, right? in terms of the value of the property. What's a shawl worth? What's a spear worth? right? It's not millions of dollars. And it's so severe, the repercussions of it, that there's talk of the fire of hell as a consequence. But the lesson here is very, very important that with the level of responsibility. Because you also have to understand that when somebody went out you know, in jihad, somebody went out to fight on the front lines, somebody went out on these expeditions and campaigns, there was a lot of respect, there was a lot of prestige, there was a lot of honor, there was a lot of trust that came with that. People admired you. People looked at you as a hero, as a leader as somebody to follow. And when you find yourself in that position, there's great reward, there's even great you know, intrinsic benefit to you, in, even in the short term, aside from the long term of the akhirah. But that also comes with a serious level of accountability and responsibility. That when you violate that responsibility, you are trusted so much that you're on the inner circle of the Prophet ﷺ. That that man who took the shawl, the Prophet ﷺ trusted him. He was personally assisting the Prophet ﷺ, handling the Prophet ﷺ himself. He was there where all the meetings were happening. He had full access to where all the goods were being stored. That's a lot of trust. But when you violate that trust, the repercussions are also very severe. And that's the Prophet ﷺ expressing that disappointment. And that, that, that very severe reprehensibility of that. Now the reason why I made a point of mentioning this and not only mentioning it but emphasizing this point because we have to also understand and internalize that. We have an opposite, we almost have a reverse logic, an opposite logic that basically operates within our communities that we conduct ourselves with. What I feel today a very common trend a very common thought process is that if I'm sacrificing a lot if I'm doing a lot of work if I'm investing a lot if I'm, you know, stepping forward and I've done a lot and then I commit some type of violation of trust I have earned the capital I have earned the leeway I have earned the privilege where nobody can hold me accountable If Somebody says Why did you do that? How did you do that? How could you do that? Really? You're going to talk to me? You know who I am? Do you know what I've done? But the Prophet is teaching us quite the opposite. You sacrificed, you gave a lot, that's very good, but you did it for yourself. You didn't do anybody any favors, you did not do God any favors. You did not do the messenger of Allah any favors. You didn't do Islam any favors. You didn't even do the community any favors. I understand we should be respectful of those who serve the community. That's fine. But those who serve the community can never ever conduct themselves with a level of entitlement and impunity. Right? This is a session about the life of the Prophet and we're supposed to connect it to kind of real life and what's going on, but I don't want to pollute it by talking about the entire political scene right now, but you see exactly that. That just because maybe somebody's done some work, or somebody's you know, served public office, and served you know, public service for a certain number of time, there's almost a level of impunity, a level of entitlement that they conduct themselves with. That they're above the law now. That's fundamentally a problem and when you hear the disappointment and you hear the disenfranchisement and you hear the disenchantment amongst the populace amongst the people that is very it's very justified because it's a violation of trust it's like how a child would feel the level of betrayal a child would feel if that child was violated by his or her own parent it's worse and this is what the Prophet ﷺ was teaching us, and that's what he was teaching his sahaba, and he was teaching all of us. That the more you work, and the more you make yourself make your way to the front of the line, and the more you work your way inward towards the inner circle, the more you are accountable and liable and responsible. You don't earn some type of impunity. So this is something very, very profound that the Prophet ﷺ taught us about at this particular point. And the earlier one, I didn't um, do you know, a proper job of explaining it. So as I was mentioning, when they arrived at Wadi al qura they, they, they tried to ambush the Muslims and that stray arrow hit Mid'am. These were those people, the Jews of Wadi al In spite of them ambushing the Muslims and actually killing someone, the Prophet ﷺ still put peace on the table as an offering. That's the testament of the Prophet ﷺ's commitment to peace. Loss of life is the most abhorrent thing in our religion. We do not. The Prophet said, never ever aspire to actual battle and fighting and killing people. Never aspire to that. Never hope for it. Never wish for it. بَلْ اللَّهَ لعافية. Ask God for safety, protection, peace, Tranquility, well-being. Ask Allah to protect everyone. Do things become difficult at times? Yes, they do. Then at that point in time, know that paradise is earned, paradise paradise rests, paradise lies under the shade of the swords, meaning sometimes you have to, you have to do what you have to do and you have to sacrifice. But that is never ever the first option nor even the second option, as the Prophet proved here. The next um, event or expedition that I wanted to mention here is the Prophet he sent another expedition uh, with Bashir ibn Sa'd. This is again mentioned in all the books of Seerah um, that in Bashir ibn Sa'd رضي الله تعالى عنه, the Prophet sent an expedition with him to go out to the area not far outside of Medina and just secure the region. Usama ibn Zayd, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrates this incident. Now you have to understand who Usama bin Zayd is. Usama ibn Zayd is the son of Zayd bin Haritha, who is like the adopted son. Like the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ. And that's why Usama ibn Zayd had a very grandson type of relationship with the Prophet ﷺ. He was known, حِبُّ رَسُولِ ﷺ. صلى he was the beloved of the Messenger ﷺ. And the Prophet praised him for being a remarkable you know, individual. But he tells the story himself. He says that, we went out um, securing the area and the region and myself... And another um, individual from amongst the Ansar, we, whose name was Mirdas ibn Nahik, he said that we came across one of the you know, people, one of the men, one of the soldiers of that area that we were trying to secure. We came across him, and so we drew our swords, right? Because it was like maybe one soldier got broke loose, he got loose, and he was running around. So we, pull, we drew our swords when we saw him. And when we saw him and we drew our swords, he said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. He said the kalima of Tawheed, which meant what? He was identifying himself as a Muslim. I am not one of the enemy, I'm with y'all. Very unfortunately and tragically, Usama radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that. We did not withdraw. We did not withdraw. We did not back off. But we proceeded. And we carried on with the offense until he was killed. This man was killed. He says, when we made it back to Medina and we went back to the Prophet ﷺ, we informed him of what had transpired, what happened. And the Prophet ﷺ was so distraught His face like twisted in agony. And the Prophet said, Ya Usama, he said, Oh Usama, especially because of the love and the relationship that he had with Usama. Ya Usama, man laka bila ilaha illallah. Man laka bila ilaha illallah. Even La ilaha illallah cannot protect somebody from you. What? Huh? Even La ilaha illallah cannot protect someone from you? He was so furious. فَقُلْتُ O oh, Messenger of Allah, He only said that so that we wouldn't proceed towards Him. He was trying to use it as an out. He was trying to get away. He was being sneaky. And the Prophet said, فَمَن لَكَ يَا بِلَا إِلَهِ Even La إِلَهِ illallah oh, O Usama doesn't protect somebody from you. And then Usama رضي الله تعالى عنه says, فَوَالَّذِي بَعَثَهُ بِالْحَقِّ مَا زَالَيْ يُرَدِّدُهَا عَلَيَّ He says, I swear by Allah. The Prophet ﷺ kept saying that over and over and over and over again. مَن لَكَ يَا أُسَمَى بِلَا إِلَهِ Even لا إِلَهِ لَاللَّهِ doesn't protect somebody from you. <laughs> so much so that I wished that I was not a Muslim before this time and I just now accepted Islam so that this could be wiped from my record. And I, or maybe that I never was Muslim before this. I never would have gone on that expedition. I never would have ended up killing that person. Like it was so, it was so, it was so frightening to me how upset the Prophet was, how bothered he was by this rajulan أَبَدًا فَقَالَ Abadan. يَا Usama, فَقُلْتُ badak. He said that at that point in time I said to the Prophet, ﷺ, I take an oath today that I will never, ever raise my sword against anyone who has ever said La ilaha illallah, ever again. And he said, even after me, O Sama, he said, even after you, O Prophet, ﷺ, I will stay firm. I will never lose my way ever again. You see once again the, the theme, the point that I'm trying to make here, the sanctity, the value of life. And you see how distraught the Prophet was and how he held people accountable. There's another very similar story to this as well. Ibn Ishaq and others, they mentioned this as well from Abu Hadrad. Abu Hadrad, there was another expedition, another campaign the Prophet had sent. And Abu Hadrad, he says that the Prophet ﷺ sent us to another place, another region to kind of secure the area. And we went out to go about and securing the area and there was a man by the name of Amir ibn al-Adbat, al-Ashja'i. And he had some, you know, some goods with him. He had some goods and some things with him. And it seemed kind of like he was from that area. It seemed kind of like he was maybe trying to get some of his stuff and just kind of sneak out and slip out. And as he was pa- passing by us, he said, Assalamu Alaikum to us. He saw us notice him and look at him. And so he said, Assalamu Alaikum. So he said that we went and tried to grab him. Oh, wait, 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 wait this guy trying to be sneaky. Where is he trying to slip out to? What's he got with him? And so we went and we grabbed him. And he started to obviously, you know, get frightened and kind of resist. And Abu Hadrat says that one of the sahaba who's with us, Muhallim, he ended up drawing his sword and killing the man. And When we got back to the Prophet ﷺ after the campaign was over, we informed the Prophet ﷺ of what had occurred and what had transpired. And the Prophet ﷺ said that a verse of the Qur'an was revealed about what you guys did. Allah sent down revelation admonishing you and admonishing everyone because of what you did. And the ayah of the Qur'an Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 94. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَتَبَيَّنُوا When you go out on these expeditions, on these campaigns in the path of Allah, فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ, then clarify, be very clear. وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَمُؤْمِنًا And don't you dare ever say to somebody that says, السلام عليكم to you, that you are not a believer. Do you just want the material things of this world? That if you kill him, then you take his goods? God can provide you plenty spoils of war if that's what your motivation is. That's very harsh. Like Allah is telling them, is all you wanted was material things? Allah would have given you material things. You didn't have to kill an innocent soul just to acquire that. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimanding them because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do so. Allah is constantly informed of what you do. This is also narrated in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. So once again we see that same profound lesson here. That you have to be very clear and very cautious. Even in a state of war, even when there is active engagement with the enemy, you have to have so much clarity. And so much confirmation before a sword is ever raised, before a weapon is ever raised towards another human being. And this was another one of those incidents. Another um, similar incident where there's a very profound lesson here as well. Now it's kind of changing the theme a little bit. The, the, The second theme that I wanted to address here which also, once again, somewhat alluding to what I talked about before, but the responsibilities of leadership, but somewhat from the other side. We talked about the, you know, the, the responsibility on the, on the shoulders of those who might find themselves in the front line, in the rank, front ranks. But this now, another expedition, has a very profound lesson about the fact that even... Yes, we try to respect the chain of command. We try to respect the structure that's in place as much as possible, but we do not attribute, we do not attribute infallibility towards anyone. But we still have to remain critical. Respectfully critical, but we still have to remain critical. And there's no blind following of any human being in our religion. There is Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and there is the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And outside of that, we do not blind follow anyone. wa We measure what they are telling us up against what God and His Messenger have taught us. And there's a very profound story the, in another expedition that the Prophet ﷺ sent. This is mentioned in the Sahihain in Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ sent an expedition at the leadership, at the forefront of that expedition, was Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi. A very notable companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu narrates this incident. He says that the Prophet placed Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi, who was an Ansari, a sahabi of Medina, he placed him at the head as the leader of this, um, you know, uh, at the head of this expedition, this campaign, this group of sahaba radiallahu anhum. And he collected, you know, a group and a, placed them under his leadership. And the Prophet ﷺ told them, he advised them, and, That you listen to him and you obey him. You do what he says. So the narration goes on to say, fi While they were out on the expedition, he became agitated with them. The group that he had, that he wasn't responsible for, he became agitated with them for some reason. They upset. Maybe they weren't doing what he said or whatever the case was. And they upset him. So he got very angry. And he called all the troops together. Everybody now. And he said, "Ijma'uli لي Go out and gather firewood for me. So they fajma'u. They went out and they gathered the firewood together and they piled it up. Fakala Now he said, now start a fire with that firewood. And they started a fire. Until it started فأوقضوا, Until it started burning pretty big, then he said that. Then he says, "Alam yamurukum Rasulullahi sallallahu wasallam wa tuti'u." Did not the Messenger of God sallallahu wasallam command you? Did he not tell you to listen to me and do whatever it is that I tell you to do? And they said, "Absolutely." Of course he did. So he said, "Fadkhuluha." Now jump into this fire. I'm in charge. Go. فَنَظَرَ إِلَى They started looking at one another. They responded to him, they said, Listen, sir, we came to the Prophet to escape the fire. Meaning, spiritually speaking, we came to the Prophet because we wanted to get away from the fire. And here you're telling us to jump into a fire? And at that time, the narration says, He kind of calmed down a little bit, and the fire was extinguished at that time. When they got back to Medina, when they got back to the Prophet وسلم, له, they told him exactly what happened. Look, this is what transpired. They gave the report. The Prophet said something so profound. So profound. He said, If they would have entered into the fire, they never would have come out from the fire. Which means if they would have jumped into the fire out of this mistaken notion of obedience and compliance, that would have led them to the fire of hell. This would have counted as them killing themselves. Pointlessly. Wrongfully. Inna matta'atu fil The Prophet said, Yes, you should obey your leader. But you only obey your leader in things that are Right. Not in things that are wrong. And again, that's very profound. Once again, on on the side of those who might be following, who might be the congregants, that we do have a very analytical, critical perspective. It's respectful, but still, we are always analytical and critical. That what the leadership is dictating to us, is it in compliance, is it in line, with what Allah and His Messenger have taught us? Yes or no? That's the question. And number two, it's also a powerful lesson to those who find themselves in a position of leadership, that you you are only owed the respect and the obedience of your flock as long as you are trending in the correct direction. As long as you are doing the right thing. But you do not have the right, again, no entitlement here, you do not have the right to push your flock, to push your people into the direction of evil, to ask them to do something unjust or wrong. Absolutely not. You do not owe anyone any type of obedience or compliance if what they're asking you to do is something that goes against what Allah and His Messenger have said. This is another very, very remarkable and profound lesson. from amongst these campaigns and these incidents. The next thing that I wanted to mention here um, is that... The last thing that I'll mention here is just another thing that occurred on these same expeditions, but it's a very... Interesting lesson, and it teaches us the significance of following the advice, the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ, and how the Prophet ﷺ is a messenger of Allah. He does not speak from a place of desire. Everything that he instructs us to do is a divine inspiration and commandment from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and how our safety and our well-being. And our benefit is in following the sunnah of the Prophet the instruction of the Prophet the guidance from the Prophet to the best of our ability. There's a very interesting thing that's also mentioned, where on the return back from the journey of Khaybar, when they stopped at Wadi Al-Qurah, as we talked about, and then they arrived back to Medina, they arrived back they got to the outskirts of the city of Medina in the evening time. And I've actually talked about this before, that the Prophet ﷺ had given this instruction. The Prophet ﷺ had given this instruction where he said, لَا تَطْرُقُوا That do not arrive home late at night. What he basically meant by that was that when you get close to home, if it's already evening time, if it's already night time, especially keep in mind that they didn't have the ability to send a text message or make a phone call, that if it's already evening time, where your family cannot receive the news of the fact that you've arrived and prepare for your arrival to welcome you home, then wait till the following day so that the news reaches home that you have arrived and that they can actually welcome you home. And make preparations accordingly. The Prophet ﷺ had always taught the Sahaba this lesson. When they arrived on the outskirts of the city of Medina back from the journey of Khaybar, one particular Sahabi, he said uh, one particular Sahabi, his name is not mentioned here, that he became very anxious and impatient. فطرق أَهْلَهُ He went ahead and just went home at night. Going against. Now keep in mind, this: the Prophet ﷺ had not forbidden this. This is a powerful lesson here. The Prophet ﷺ had not said, it is haram to go home at night. No, no, it's not haram. You can go. I advise you not to go though. See, how often is it that we hear about something from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ, the advice of the Prophet ﷺ. How often is it that we hear of something, we come across something, and immediately our first question is, is it... Is it is it fard? Is it haram? Is it a sin? Like do we have to? Do we, should we not at all? Is it prohibited? That's immediately where our mind goes. We have a very bottom line mentality. But you have to understand the objective, the place, the benefit of having the Prophet Wasallam in your life. Having the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam in your life. The benefit of it is, is that it allows you to grow beyond that bottom line. It helps you become a better version of yourself. It helps you live a, a, a more fruitful, a more beneficial existence. It enhances your existence. It illuminates your life. So we immediately have a bottom line mentality. Is it prohibited? So the Sahabi went ahead and went home against the advice of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ hadn't forbidden it, so he said, fine. But my advice is you don't. He ended up arriving home now, I know that this is going to raise some curiosity, but a lot of times there's details that are not mentioned because they're, not, they're none of our business. All the narration mentions is, فَتَرَقَ أَهْلَهُ He went home at night, فَوَجَدَ مَا يَكْرَهُ And he found something that he could not tolerate. He found something that he did not like. What that means? Allah knows best. The narration leaves it very general because it's nobody's business. They didn't. They didn't come to the Prophet ﷺ with it. Nobody. They. It's nobody's business. But it just says that he found something he did not like. He he came across something he could not. He felt like he couldn't tolerate. فخلَّ سَبِيلَهُ And the narration basically says that he initially thought about leaving his wife. Due to whatever it is that he found, whatever transpired and occurred, he thought about leaving his wife. But then it says that "W. But he found it very difficult to be without his wife. Wa,, they had children together. yuhibbuha, And he loved her very, very deeply. He really, truly loved her. They had children together, they had a home, they had a family, and he loved her very deeply. So he ended up having, he ended up deciding to stay with his wife. But it was something that remained, you know, uh, it was something that remained very stressful in their lives together. It was something that always weighed very heavy on him. Whatever transpired, whatever happened, whatever it is that he came across that broke his heart, but because it was so difficult for him to leave her and to leave his you know and to break up their family. He struggled with not leaving her. But it was something that really caused damage to their relationship. And that's why Ummu amara Ta'ala Anha, the sahabiyyah who narrates this incident, she says, Fa salam, Fara'a He disobeyed the Prophet. That's something very profound you have to understand. He didn't do anything haram. ومر... He did not do something haram. He did not commit a major sin by going home at night. But he did not follow the advice of the Prophet ﷺ and he paid the price for it. Now would whatever transpired not have transpired if he hadn't gone home at night? We don't know. But it's not our job to play what ifs and what nots. The point of the matter is that there is a profound unforeseen benefit and blessing in abiding by the guidance, the advice of the Prophet wasallam. This is why we study the life of the Prophet wasallam. This is why we study the seerah. This is why we learn the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, So that it can enhance our lives. So that we can have a life full of blessings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to study the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa a profound blessing within our lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live and abide by the guidance of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. sallam. wa bihamdihi Subhanakallah bihamdik Nashad wa la ilaha illa anta Nassaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk We'll stop here. And next session inshaAllah we'll be talking about Umratul Qadha The Umrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa